All right, guys, so I am back. I have been on a three-week, almost a month hiatus, and it was a well-deserved, um, well-earned break, and uh, I enjoyed it, but I've been itching to, you know, get back on the studio and talk about a lot of the things that I've been, you know, reading, listening to, experiencing, and really getting that out there in order to help people, anyone who, you know, needs the help or can benefit from what I have to say. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for subscribing. Um, Thank you for checking out the previous episodes, all of that. Forever grateful for you guys. I want to start by strongly, strongly, strongly reinforcing this concept, this idea, which is if you have not, if you have not picked up a book by Osho yet on Audible, listening to a talk, after you listen to my podcast, go on Audible. If you don't already have an account, they will give you one credit for free and you can purchase any book that you want. Go on Audible and type in Osho and pick the one that speaks to you. And if you do have Audible, his books are probably somewhere around like five ninety nine, six ninety nine. So I wouldn't even bother using your credit because it's actually... His books cost less than the cost of a credit. And to me, they're steel because you can get, you know, 35 hours, 45 hours of him speaking um, for the cost of less than a credit. And I mentioned the speaking time and that might be intimidating to you, like 35 hours. That's a long time to listen to a person. But as I've said before, when I first initially mentioned Osho, um, he speaks really really slowly speed it up like use your you know audible you can alter the speed i listen to him at about three 3.2 x speed um i cannot listen to him at normal speed because he just speaks too slowly um but i enjoy him at the faster speeds you know the delivery of his jokes are great and the information it's just such a wealth of information and i'm really you know i I don't (laughs) i'm getting no benefit out of you know, recommending that you listening, that you listen to Osho beyond just knowing that the few people who hear this and will follow through on the advice will be greatly benefited by that advice, um, by listening to Osho. Um, Addressing his, quote, sordid history, all I can say to that is nobody's perfect and all the... (laughs) all of the kind of controversy that surrounds him actually likened me to him even more because, you know, I spent a lot of time studying philosophy, theosophy and all of that. Um, and I've listened to, you know, talks and audiobooks by like the likes of Ram Dass and Eckhart Tolle. And I forget the other guy, he's Indian as well, but really popular, Deepak Chopra. I've looked and listened to all of these guys and they sort of give off this like I don't want to use the terminology holier, holier than thou because it carries like a negative judgmental um, connotation with it. But they do kind of give you this vibe of them being like spiritual and sort of higher than the rest of us. And it's almost like, okay, this individual is like so quote enlightened. How can I attain to that? Whereas what I love about Osho is that he, to me, when I listen to him, I don't approach him as this like spiritual guru or like a messiah or you know some sort of you know 
entity that you should, like a Buddha or something where that should be worshipped. I approach Osho the way you would approach, the way one would approach your college professor, your philosophy professor in college, right? He is obviously flawed, um, but so are the rest of us. In fact, one of the criteria for a higher being, a soul, which is what you really are, entering into this lower plane is you are becoming less than, right? So if you are a God, for a God to become human, the concept of becoming human means that you become imperfect. So your while your soul, your consciousness, who you really are, is perfect. The moment you incorporate, the, the moment you take on flesh, take on form, is the moment you become imperfect. It is a step down. And so acknowledging, you know, that he was not a perfect individual, acknowledging that there was some controversy that came with him and his life, um, still go and listen to his books because, and, and, and listen to it, like I said, from the approach of, okay, this is not a spiritual guru. This is my philosophy professor who has studied Eastern, Western, you know, philosophy and brought them together to like a well-rounded, mind-expanding, mind-challenging um, experience. And that's what I'm going to say with that. And from that, I'm going to share um, some things that I kind of picked out from him um, that I just really, really have has sort of taken in. Um, and, and, and have used to basically improve myself and break free from the ego more and more. Um, essentially what I'm working towards is what some people would call enlightenment. And in my opinion, it's a gradual process. I subscribe to the ideology of, uh, Gurdjieff, uh, who says that we, man is not born with free will, Right. Free will, and I'm I'm rephrasing Gurdjieff's writings in my own understanding. But free will is something that we earn, right? It's not it's not something that's given to you. He basically says that we're all slaves, we're all robots, we're all unconscious. The majority of us, and I subscribe to the idea that to to be to have true free will, which as I've stated in previous episodes, and I've used you know, neurological writings and books on philosophy and things of that nature to discuss the concept of free will and how that's really an illusion. Um, I'm reiterating that it's not even free will. It's you actually have to make a choice to not do something that your ego expects you to do or reacts, you know, to do, right? In the sense of, for the most part, if somebody walks up to you and hits you, your response is to automatically react and hit them back, right? And that if if your behavior, right, is predicated on external circumstances and is constantly driven by the external, you can never truly say that you're free because your whole life is just based on you reacting to things outside of yourself. And so what free, what true free will isn't choosing, but it's actually choosing not to, to do something, right? Um, and that's when you can exercise, quote, free will. 
I have had a very experience, uh, very interesting experience towards the tail end of my um, three week hiatus vacation. It's funny because I look at my life and it seems like I'm being shepherded for the lack of a better word. I, the older I get, the more I feel as though there is me, right? A higher self that has been guiding my path and, and really teaching me indirectly. And I say that because I randomly happened to just start reading Osho again back in August, or it might've even been like late, um, late July. I had purchased one of his books before and listened to it. It was like on the Dhammapada. And honestly, I stumbled across Osho because um, I think I might've seen like years ago, a quote by Osho on like Instagram and the name Osho stuck with me. And then another one of my friends that I had like almost a decade ago said he would always quote, and his name was Joe too. It's funny. He would always quote, the fool looks at the finger that's pointing to the sky. That's not necessarily a direct quote by Osho after reading about 10 books of his in the last, in the past, like two, three weeks. Um, but the, the concept is there. Um, but I just, I went in to type in like the Dhammapada because I wanted to read more on it and Osho came up and intuitively I selected, you know, the Dhammapada. And then once I was done reading, I forget what other books I've been reading leading up to this. Um, I think it was stuff on like physics or whatever, or time. Um, I might've gone back and revisited Seneca. Um, I was just going back and it, I told myself I wasn't going to buy any more books. And I, I told you guys that too. Actually, I said it on the podcast. I said, I'm not going to buy any more books. I'm going to go through my library and I'm going to reread a lot of my stuff. And in the, in the act of rereading a lot of my stuff, I re-stumbled back on um, the Dhammapada by Osho. And then listening to him, I was like, actually, you know, there's a lot of stuff I didn't catch the first time that is like mind expanding, mind expanding, you know, the second time. And I was like, I'd like to check out some more of his stuff. And here we are three weeks later. And um, turns out that I was always supposed to read and listen to all those books. And more importantly, listening to all of those books prepared me for some, like there was a situation that I had earlier this week that I realized had I not randomly, and I'm saying randomly in quotes, had I not randomly, quote, decided to start rereading Osho, situation would have gone the other way. And to watch myself be faced in a situation where somebody like verbally, like, not like in person, like they sent me like a crazy text message or whatever that was just incredibly insultive. And from like left field, just out of nowhere. And to see that, and then it was like, I don't know if you've ever had somebody just like insult you by text and unprovoked, the first, your first response is ego, right? Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? And, and I felt that. And, and, and normally, right, under like normal circumstances, somebody attacks you, and you just black out, you ghost out, the ego takes over, and it's defend mode, right? Like the pesh mode, defend mode, right? Um, and that, that's who I, I am, don't believe me. Go and listen to like the first few. You can literally hear the growth, my self-growth 
on this podcast. And that's one of the reasons why I, I do the podcast, because I'm, I'm watching and listening to myself grow. But there's literally an episode that's, that's called I Am Cheap and Petty. And I prided myself on being a petty individual. And if you listen to that episode, I admit, like, I don't, I'm not an antagonistic person. But if you go, if you come for me, I will destroy you. And I prided myself in that and being that kind of person. And am I ashamed of saying that? Hell no. What I do recognize through listening to all of these books that that I've mentioned throughout the podcast, but specifically binge listening to Osho's talks over the past three weeks, what I have recognized is that all of us have that thing in us, right? That ego. And for the most part, a lot of our egos are overweight and remarkably like out of control. And when a person sends you a message like that, where they're insulting or they're attacking you, if it's a comment on Facebook or social media in general, or a crazy email, or even if the person like literally is calling you to like attempt to fuck up your day, um, that's, that's ego. And a month ago, I would not have recognized that like this person's ego is out of control. And when you meet with with a person, you cross paths with a person whose ego is out of control. It's like a disease. Um, it's communicable, right? Like a yawn even. When a person's ego is inflamed, if you haven't like, <laughs> if you're not deeply working on like letting shit pass through you and not being a, not being form and, and, and re- you know, earlier in this episode, I mentioned that once you de- descend to this level and you take on form, you become an imperfect being. But at your core, you are God. You are a part of God. You are a part of our collective consciousness that you would call God. So what I said was, you you know, you become imperfect um, and then you grapple with the ego. We all are doing that. It's just the majority of us aren't even aware that there is a battle happening. And we are, you know, the majority of us are sleepwalking. So when I say that something prepped me, my higher self, my future self, something prepped me and said, put me on the path. Because it's not a coincidence. Why would I randomly just start like binge reading Osho? And for the most part, I keep my life pretty simple and I keep people at a distance because I I don't like drama. I don't like chaos. And I try to keep people, if I have a conversation with you and I realize, okay, this person is deeply unconscious or they thrive on drama or they thrive on negativity, I instinctively keep my distance um, because I, I don't want that in my life, you know? So I try to keep my life and my energy sort of clean. So if somebody would have told me like a month ago that somebody was going to like this person was going to send me the message that they sent me completely unprovoked out of left field, I, one would have been like, I thought I blocked them. <laughs> Cause I, I, I thought I blocked this person, but I guess they got a new number and then came for me. And two, um, I think a month ago I would have been like, yeah, they can try. And then I'm about to destroy this person. Now, three weeks into binge listening to Osho, and not only should I 
that I know, though I know without a shadow of the doubt that I was put on that path. When the person texted me, I was doing two of my favorite things, two of the most, like, the two of the most calming things that I could physically do in life, which was, you probably guessed it as a regular listener, I was painting and I was listening to an audible and I was um, specifically listening to Osho's voice who has for the last three weeks kept me calm, kept me centered and has been expanding my mind just with all these concepts and ideas and the way he challenges the status quo and the way he challenges preconceived notions. Like here's, here, here's a gem. Whatever your religion is, just here, just listen to this, okay? He said, Christ came to save the whole world. This is the man who people claimed turned water into wine and, you know, was able to walk on water. Basically, he was like a waterbender (laughs) or something, right? An avatar. Christ the avatar was a waterbender. And, um, and, you know... Yet, one, people who were around around the same time, like Greeks and Romans, historical figures made no mention of anybody performing something like the, quote, miracles that people that people claimed, people who wrote the Bible claimed that Christ performed. Another thing, he said, if you're based on a religion and your belief of an individual being God to the point where your whole life is set up to worship that individual, if that's based on the ability to perform miracles, then that's a, that's a false foundation. And you're basically, you're fooling yourself. Okay. These, these are, this is what he's talking about. And he's saying, go to India. You can go to India and you can see beggars performing tricks where they bring people back from the dead. They chop people up and put them back together. These are just tricks, he said. And they perform these tricks for a, for a rupee, you know, like the equivalent of a dollar. These are beggars. Common beggars perform greater miracles than the biblical Jesus that people claim to have existed 2,000 years ago. Whatever your religion is, when he says something like that and you're like, fuck, that's true though, it's like, so it hits you. So he starts with that. Then he follows up a little later where he says, um, how, how does one know? I think he mentioned like a German philosopher who wrote a book that he more or less said it was like waiting for God. And it was like two individuals. The title of the book is called Waiting for Good Something. And I'm sure if you start typing in waiting for G whatever, uh, Google will autofill it. But these two individuals are waiting for somebody that let's say it's it's God, okay? Um, but it's German, like the word gut or whatever. And um, they're like, who's this person? What does he look like? They have no idea. And what he says is like the conversation goes back and forth and they're describing what they think that this individual that they're waiting for is going to look like, what's going to be like. But at the end of the day, neither of them have ever met this person that they're waiting for. So if he were to show up, how would they know that that was him? How would they recognize him, the person that they're waiting for? And because they've invested so much time and energy in just the simple act of the, you know, waiting and the conversation, they would much rather not even have the individual that they are claiming to be waiting for show up so that they can continue 
the maintenance of the narrative that they have created and are obviously enjoying. And he likened that book to God. And he says, you know, he tells a story of, um, uh, of an ordinary God that comes and he speaks first to a taxi cab driver and he operates in the taxi cab and he says, I am God. And the taxi cab driver says, how are you, God? You're like, you're dressed like a, a beggar. And he says, oh, I perform miracles. So he like performed a miracle where he disappeared and then he popped back in into his cab. And then he said, you go tell people that I'm God. And so this poor taxi cab driver went from person to person, basically proclaiming that this ordinary like pauper more or less was God. And every time he would tell people that he knew God, they would say, okay, show me proof. And then this quote, ordinary God would show up and everybody would go, oh, wow, it's a miracle. As he's telling the story, you're kind of asking yourself the question, if you don't know what you're looking for and how the fuck do you know, <laughs> if, if, if we're told that we, you know, God is undefinable, then how do how would we know who God is or what God is if we've never been able to define it or define him right so he he's saying like right now an entity can show up and claim to be God and we humanity would basically attack him like he said he made a joke about Christ you know they asked Christ to come again and he was like, no, like if I came again this time, like they'll kill me properly. I mean, they killed me the first time because they didn't know that I was the son of God. But now they'll, they're going to kill me again because there's so many businesses that are set up, set up to support the belief that if, uh, if, if Jesus really did come again, the papacy is destroyed, you know, all the Pope's power is gone, priests why, why do you need pastors, right? When, if, if Christ comes back, the whole thing is, you know, a hustle, it's a business. So people in power who are religious um, would much rather have a world where Christ never comes because that allows them to maintain power. This is like the, like, just, I'm just, that's just like one, like, 20 minute conversation that he had that I'm just like, oh shit, that's deep though. That's true. You know, like that's true. And then that led me down like this, like quote rabbit hole thought of like aliens. Right. Cause I'm like, all right, cool. So by definition, we are told that Christ, um, was able to walk on water and turn water into wine. Okay. Now think about where we are technologically, where we're heading to and go on Google and type in like shit that DARPA is doing because <laughs> your mind will be blown. Like they are, they are coming up with technology that if somebody showed up to you right now, based on your level, our level of ignorance, you would think that that person was a time traveler or an alien or, you know, a God, right? And that they, but they have those technologies available right now that's online for you to go read, but it's not available. The larger public isn't aware of it. So if they, if somebody like showed up and camouflaged themselves, you know, like they turned their skin to like transparency, you would think you just saw a demon. Now imagine that like an entity from our future shows up now. 
and they say I'm God because I can walk on water, turn water into wine, etc. They know our Bible, right? How the fuck do you know that they're telling the truth, right? Especially if your your basis of what you think God is is based on a book that was written 2,000 years ago that is historically faulty at best. At best, right? These are facts that he's saying. And, and I'm like, now imagine an entity did go back in time. Right. So let's say 200, 500 years from now, we master time travel. It is possible. We are capable. You just have to develop the technology. That's it. And just because we are incapable of conceptualizing the technology now doesn't mean that the future generations are going to be limited by our by our ignorance. Right. So I'm sure 500 years ago, if you told people that I could record, basically you explain a podcast to people. There is a thing, it's called a phone, and it is shaped like a rectangle, and you record, you know, you can rather, you can listen to people who have recorded themselves speaking. Like even me trying to explain that to like a normal person, (laughs) like in a village, in this present time, who has never encountered a cell phone, and there are human beings alive right now who haven't, right, would be a hard enough concept. Now, imagine the future generation, they figure out time travel, they go back in time, and they plant this book, right, and they say, I am God. Like, how easy would a future, gen- how easy would it be for a future generation to trick humanity into believing in the idea, in the concepts of God, God's, Right, but when you are, when your mind, and obviously, obviously, he doesn't talk about aliens. So that's just my personal sign. But when your mind is conditioned to view reality through a very particular foggy lens, it does tend to skew how you perceive it. Big facts. You know, another thing he said um, in the book I'm reading today, which is titled. Um, the Buddha said, and I think it's on, it's, it says, oh, hold on, let me see. The Buddha said, mastering the challenges of life's difficulties. This, like, I started reading this, and I'm telling you, like, my life is being shepherded. I started reading this, like, right after, I had downloaded it, I think, two days ago, just I, I didn't even, like, I wasn't even thinking. I just saw Osho, and I just started, you know, adding shit to cart and checking out, right? And I had actually started three different books. One was, uh, three different books by Osho. One was the about the Sufis. It's called Sufis, the People of the Path. And I started listening to it, and I was, like, maybe, like, 20 minutes in, and I, I left it. And then, because, I, I mean, I left it to go back to it. Then there was a second one that I went to listen to, and it was about the Upanishads. It's called Philosophia Ultima, also by Osho. I started listening to it, and I got off of it. Then the third one, the Buddha said, I hit play on that, and that was what was talking to me when this person texted me their negativity, um, or I should say their overinflated ego took control of this person, and then they lost control of their mind, basically. Um, And as this person is texting me, I'm hearing Osho, like, it was, like, perfectly timed. Like, he's not talking about, because he he sometimes, you know, he's telling, like, he's telling, like, you know, dirty jokes. Sometimes he's 
you know, criticizing other teachers. It was like this dude was talking to me directly at me at the exact moment that I needed to hear what I needed to hear, which was he was talking about the ego. He was talking about not being um, form, not being solid, not defending, um, checking your ego, being mindful, watching yourself. And then he like, as I'm shaking in anger, <laughs> he I hear his voice saying, mind your anger, turn your anger to compassion. The timing of it, I'm, I'm like getting chills, just narrating it. The timing of it was inexplainable, unexplainable. I was just like, this is crazy. And so all of that was what helped me kind of hold it together. I was still angry. Like I was so angry. I was still shaking. I, I was, st- but what started to happen was it was like I started dissociating and I could see the ego and as as I'm dealing with this I'm hearing him talking he's like you see the ego this is what the ego is doing observe it observe it observe it and I was like all right like so now I'm like fighting myself you know so now I'm like okay like this is what you would normally do this is what you want to do and and then the ego like it was like in a movie, you know, where your character, like, it becomes like it sees its double. And now it's like they've got to fight itself. I almost, I almost dissociated. It, it was weird. And like, it was like, call her, call her right now. And then all of a sudden, this voice that I'd never heard since I started listening to OSHA started creeping in. And it's like, put the phone down. And then I heard him say, he starts telling the story about Osho starts telling the story about Gurdjieff whose grandfather told him to wait 24 hours when somebody makes you angry before you respond now I can't tell you that I was able to make it 24 hours before I responded um and honestly with the situation that it was it it wasn't something that I could have just waited 24 hours like it was something that I needed to handle you know that day but I was able to do something that I have never been able to do, which is not react, particularly when somebody texts me some crazy shit. And I put the phone down and he's talking to me and he said, you don't want to react. Osho is talking to me through this fucking pod, uh, not podcast, audio book that I just coincidentally happened to be listening to at the exact point in time that this is happening. And he's saying, "You, you don't want to react. You want to respond, right? And he's saying an unconscious mind reacts. You want to respond consciously and with compassion. Take that energy. Anger is anger is energy, but you can transmogrify that energy and change it into compassion. And on paper, I tell you, I look compassionate as fuck. It went against my the nature of my ego to do that. But on paper, I was compassionate. And even at the end, when I told the person, if you threaten me like this again, I will be forced to contact the police. And then I am going to block you. And they sent this really long dissertation. And then I did not respond. That was life-changing. If, if, if you're a new listener and you haven't had the opportunity to check out my other, my earlier episodes, especially from season one, and you listen to the way I talk, it wasn't that long ago. I would say maybe a year or two ago. They're time-stamped, I believe. You listen to 
the way I talk and, and understand, like you, you would understand that that's not, I wasn't the kind of person where you can say some crazy threatening stuff to me. And I would just be like, um, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Um, but stop texting me, you know, like just really chill. And I know that it just reinforces that I'm not on my own on this. And it also reinforces that, you know, I got to keep doing what I'm doing, um, which is talking to you guys and, and encouraging other people to listen to their intuition and to listen to some Osho, disregard the bullshit around it, get the message. Because if I would have judged him, like who the fuck are we to judge? Like any of us are perfect down on this plane? Of course not. But if I would have judged him and said, oh no, like this guy is uh whatever, um, I would have really missed out on a lot of lessons, um, a lot of lessons and a lot of growth. And so I am forever grateful for that. And I can't, um, I cannot urge you strongly enough to check it out. If you don't check out any other book, check out The Buddha Said. The Buddha Said. And like I said, you get a free credit if you've never downloaded um, a book from Audible before. And if you have, um, his books are like less than the cost of a credit, like $6. And you obviously will own the book. It's not like you have to pay a subscription to keep listening to books, which by the way, apps that have now shifted to subscription services are like weird to me but anyway it's a weird side note like why do i have to keep why why now is everybody trying to like force you to subscribe to stuff i i don't get that but the idea the concept of having a, an audiobook now audiobook now is you can get the buddha said it's 30 hours long and if you are you know if you speed it up you can do it in 2x speed and if you just listen three hours a day you can get through it you know by by the end of your weekday or by the end of your week rather four or five days um, and you can listen to it whenever you want to for what six ninety nine, seven ninety nine, eight ninety nine, even get it, get it. That was a book that my higher self directed me to listen to, and now it's directing me to tell you guys to do so. So that's what I'm doing. Um, one of the things too that I experienced, um, we went on a road trip. My husband and I we drove to. Um, first we stopped by, uh, Sedona, Arizona, and then from Sedona, we went to, um, Scottsdale or Paradise Valley, uh, Arizona. Sedona was a short-lived trip because there was a spider in my room and I don't fuck with spiders like that. But then when I called the front desk, they were like, oh, that's normal. We get scorpions and rats sometimes and all of that. And I was like, um, I'm, I'm good, love, uh, enjoy. So we dipped out, but on our way out of Sedona, um, I got once again a random intuitive feeling too. Like I saw a sign it said get your aura red. And so I was like, all right, cool, let's see what happens. My husband was getting coffee. I don't really drink coffee, it was hot as fuck. I wanted to fi- find some air conditioning. So I went in, got some AC, and I got my aura red, and the guy was like, You're indigo, like you're an indigo person, and he's saying like your throat chakra. I don't know anything about any of this. And at some point I'll probably like deeply, you know, research it. But he was saying, you're like, you're all blue. And when he showed me the picture, I was, I was super blue. I was like, dang, like I was blue with like a halo of like turquoise over my head. And he's like, I've never seen somebody with such an even blue. 
before indigo before and he was like you know indigo people tend to be really you know they stay to themselves because they get drained really easily by people's energy which is what i said to you guys right like i I intentionally have to cut out toxic people because it's like overwhelming for me. And he said, but your throat chakra is really clear. And a lot of blues have a problem speaking the truth. They're supposed to help people. He said they are psychic and they are intuitive. And, but a lot of them are so timid and withdrawn that you need, a, you, they're healers and this world needs healers. And, um, but they're so withdrawn because it's almost too heavy for them. And so their throat chakras tend, tends to be like closed off or influenced by other things. And he's like, yours is like super blue. Like it's super clear. And he's like, do you speak your truth or what? what is that? And I was like, well, I mean, I, I don't go out of my way to like, you know, I, I've been working on, I should say, not like imposing my advice on people, but... I do my little podcast. It's my way of, you know, speaking to people, to anyone out there who needs to hear the information. And that's how, you know, I try to help people because it's the easiest way for me to help people and reach a larger, you know, audience of people. And he was like, that's great. And he was like, you keep doing that um, because you're healing people that way. So that was really cool and random. But once again, he was like, yeah, you're being influenced by, or not, he's like, actually not being, he said I wasn't being influenced by anything, but he was like, your intuition is very strong and you gotta, you know, trust that. And, and he mentioned that I, you know, psychic abilities and things like that, which regular listeners have heard me, like I've chronicled this. Um, I just sort of approached it with like a, a level of, you know, in, uh, disbelief because I'm such a logical, my persona is so logical that I have a hard time balancing, you know, being really intuitive, but then also like being this like logical. I, at one point, a couple of times that I've taken the Myers-Briggs test, I am an INTJ and my life path number is seven. So if that means anything to you, you can do the research to find out like how weird that is. So being, I don't even know what kind of combination of an individual I my psyche is, I guess, to be an indigo, to be an INTJ, and to be a life path seven. Or and I don't and I'm a Virgo as well. So boom, there you go. But and I don't know if all of that is correlated and I don't know what any of that means like together. I just know what they mean individually. Um but that was an experience that I had and um it's just, it's motivating me to just keep kind of coming on here and, you know, putting the information out there because I know that um, people are benefiting. So I'm going to share a couple more quotes that I had kind of written down as I was listening to show that I was like, I'm really looking forward to sharing it with you guys. And one of it is people ask, why can't I see God? Is God invisible? And to that, I respond, God is not invisible. You are just blind. And when he speaks of God, he doesn't mean some daddy in the sky who's going to punish you for being bad. In fact, in that same book, um, The Buddha Said, he talks about how, and that's another, like, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I still have 30 hours left in that book, by the way. It's just so profound. And, um, like everything so far has been so profound. But what he says is, you know, you commit a crime on earth. 
say you you kill somebody okay they sentence you to life in prison as as in you're living out your you, you know the rest of your life and then like an additional like 100 years or something like that which i've said before to me is evidence of like reincarnation um because or maybe even like a leftover of when people believed in reincarnation at some point and it's kind of crept into our justice system or someone on some level knows that we really do kind of keep coming back here because life in prison is one thing where why are you adding the the additional like 110 years like i okay i get like you could say that it's for emphasis but i think saying you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail is like enough emphasis (laughs) like you don't need to add plus 120 years or whatever or sentence them to two lifespans in jail or like the whole like you know like if you put it like that's kind of weird but anyway he was like for the worst crime the justice system that was created by human beings is more just than the biblical god right how can you punish he, he said you take my sins and you combine them and I would be punished for eternity for the sins of just one life. And then if you're a Hindu, right, and you believe in multiple lives, then what? Then are you just burning in hell like to infinity? How can you punish people? How can you be less judged? How can you be how can you be a perfect God and yet somehow you are less just than human beings? Like that's the stuff that he says that you pause and you go, you know, that's that's facts though. Like those are those are facts though. Like to punish somebody for infinity. For infinity. For something that they did in one lifetime, just to torture them is crazy. Especially if you gave them the ability to basically become imperfect. So if we are by like say Christ's admissions, we are all children of God, and then we take on form, then we're stepping down knowing that we will be imperfect. But then those imperfections are now labeled as sin. Like, and then you're going to get punished for those same sins. Like that's kind of crazy, right? Like legit, I'll, I'll phrase, I'll say it again. Christ says that we're all children of God, meaning that we are all perfect. Our souls are all perfect and clean. And then when you take on form, you become imperfect. That same Bible also says that that imperfection is sin. And sin uh, sin is sin in the eyes of God. And when you sin, you shall be punished for all eternity. Then why put higher forms, right? Why put the essence of, an, of a higher life form, which is what uh, God is and what your soul is too, right? Why put the essence of a higher form in an impure being, right? So by taking a pure soul and putting it in a contaminated vessel, and I don't believe that the human race is contaminated. I'm just going off of that logic, right? You take a pure soul and you basically corrupt it. The very act of putting a soul into a being that is capable of sin and is imperfect by design is a corruption so the first entity to corrupt man wasn't the devil it was god 
I'm going to say that again. Actually, that just came to me <laughs> as I was like talking. And it's really like, well, um, the first entity to corrupt mankind was God. Because it, he took, there was a biblical God, because he took an entity, he took the essence of what he was. If you're going by what the Bible says, he took the essence of what he was, which was pure, unadulterated consciousness, right? And then he put it into, he put it into a formless, or I'm sorry, he put it into form, something that gets contaminated, something that, that decays, something that that can get infected, right? The human body is corruptible. To breathe in perfection, something pure, into something corruptible makes God the first corrupter. It's not the devil. He didn't take something and corrupted, he's not necess- he's not responsible for creation. If I take snow, right, and I put it in a bowl, a bucket of you know mud, right, then I turn and say it's it's the snow's fault for being corrupted or made dirty or made impure by the dirt. There's some delusion happening there. And at that point, you're worshiping a god of ego. That's another thing that Osho had said in one of the books. I don't know which he, he, he said it, but he said, you know, the, the biblical god is all ego. All ego. Pure e- ego. You listen to him. How dare you? You shall have no other gods before me. How, like they just if you like take the fact that it's a god and ask yourself like if it was a person saying this stuff you wouldn't like you would be like bro chill <laughs> right like the ego on on that on this person if they're kind of going off on that but he like stays trying to satiate his ego kill your child as a sacrifice for me. Like, go back to the Old Testament and look at it with Eastern eyes. And you can understand why the Hindus don't really understand the allure of the Western Christian God. Because it's a very ego the god is ego and and by definition if ego is form right if ego is based on form right if ego is only found within form then by that definition god is not god if god is ego God is not God if God has an ego. You have an ego because you're a human being and the ego comes with form. Which then should tell you that the biblical God is a creation 
of ego. Period. And that then supports the, the, the quote where it says that man created God in his Im- image. Right? God is not found in the Bible. Can't be. Um, it's the, the gods in the Christian Bible are the same gods that you found in ancient in ancient um, Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia. Sorry, um, in Africa, in Native America. Um, Native Americans, rather, tribes um, in Asian cultures as well. And they all have human attributes, right? The story of Zeus, the Greek god, Hera, Achilles, um, you know, who obviously is a demigod, but still, like, he was a child. And I think he was a, he was a, I think he was a product of rape actually. Um, Because Zeus, if you read their theology, the Greek theology, he just kind of went around like raping people. But that's another uh, episode. Um, But all of the gods that mankind has sort of created, for the most part, all have egos. And you want to kind of go back and listen to this podcast again, because I know I'm going to, because there's some stuff that I said that now it's kind of tying itself back to it, which is you were a pristine being. That's what your true self is. Your consciousness, your higher self is this. It's that being that observes the ego. It's that being that I describe when, you know, I'm, I got this text and I had to take a step back. And I watched this like monster in me like swell and want to defend and want to attack. I wasn't that ego. I had been that for a very long time, or at least I had operated under the assumption and programming that that version of me, that ego, was me. But all of a sudden, by observing that, I became the watcher. By observing the ego, I dissociated, I woke woke up from slumber, so to speak, and became conscious and became like God. And by that definition, by those definitions, it explains then why consciousness is described as God, as and God being the collective consciousness. So on some level, in some greater reality, there is a collective of what used to be human life forms, if this helps, but obviously could be any sort of form-based entity that rose to the top, so to speak, and dropped ego, dropped form, and now exist as just pure consciousness, no ego, pure awareness, no ego. That collective is like a brain cell, if you want to look at it that way, but that collective is that is the collective consciousness, the universal or multiversal consciousness. And that collective 
of non-ego bound, non-formless, rather formless consciousness is God. It's not the Bible God. It is not the Quran God. It's not Zeus. It's something that cannot be put into form. It just is. In fact, it's something that exists outside of form. And so when they say that by meditating, one can get close to, quote, God, meditation is an exercise of controlled awareness. And the more, not only controlled awareness, but slowly dissociating from the ego and learning to control the ego by controlling the mind and its reactivity. And it takes practice. But eventually through meditation, you get to a point where you're all awareness. And that's literally you, more or less, levitating, for lack of better phrasing, you are vibrating higher out of this plane and into the plane where the collective resides, the ego, ego-less, formless collective of consciousness. And that collective is what we quote call God. But even God, I believe it was Eckhart Tolle who said in the beginning of, I think it was a new earth or it might've been the power of now, but he says, you know, when you use the term God, for some people, it has a negative connotation to it. So instead of calling it God, I will simply call it awareness. That is God. And you become like a God, knowing good from evil. And this is me quoting the devil, um, the snake, rather, in the Garden of Evil. He says, you eat from the fruit of knowledge and you become like a God, knowing good from evil. He never lied, but he did lie, but he didn't lie. And I think that there's some deep esoteric knowledge even with that, even within that phrase, right? Because if you can look at it as knowing good from evil, as knowing consciousness from ego, right? So evil being ego and consciousness being good. What Osho would say is that these are just all labels that religious, um, and and when I say religious, I don't mean it in the way that Osho uses the word religious, but I need it in the way like the Catholic church and things like that. Um, These are all concepts that has been created to sort of keep our minds programmed in a particular way. So good, evil, morality, and all of that, they're just labels. Um, what we define as evil is purely an absence of consciousness, all ego, basal, animalistic, unconscious behavior. That's evil. And so therefore the opposite of that is a a state without ego, right? A state of grace, a state of compassion. It's just literally the balance opposite of that. In order to achieve both, or in order to achieve either, right, you, they need each other. But our aspirations, particularly if you've listened this far, then clearly this message is for you. Um, you are here right now. You've been put on this path right now because it's your, 
probably last incarnation, your last go at taking on form, and then you ascend. Then it's time for you to stop be- becoming an individual over and over and over again. And if you're listening to this and you feel tired, like you've been here before, and that's because you have. And so as you get close to the end of your incarnations and reincarnations on the cycle of reincarnation that we have all kind of been sucked into you discard the flesh you discard the form and join the collective consciousness and become god so this is the last sort of lesson that your life that you are on right now because the life is the lesson and so this is your the last lesson So, good stuff. I could talk about Osho all day. And to be honest with you, I'm not going to stop listening to Osho. Um, So there are going to be a lot more episodes that are going to be based around a lot of the stuff that he said. But I'll leave you with this one quote for those who need it. He says, misery is your effort. Ecstasy is your nature. So basically, it's your nature to have peace. It takes effort to be misery, uh, miserable rather. It takes effort to be miserable. Like that hit me. And I want you to meditate on that too and really think about that. So I'll say it one more time and then I'll sign off. Misery is your effort. Ecstasy is your nature. It takes effort effort to be miserable. You can have peace as your nature. Peace is your nature. Misery takes effort. Thanks for listening.